Section 23 of The Empresses of Constantinople. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Empresses of Constantinople by Joseph McCabe. Chapter 15, Part 1 The New Constantinople. For fifty seven years, the metropolis of the east remained in the power of the western knights but our empresses have already come so frequently from the west that we shall not be tempted to expect a new or higher type of woman on the throne at constantinople during the latin occupation that half-century may indeed be dismissed in a few lines as far as the purpose of this work is concerned we saw that baldwin count of flanders was selected by the Venetians and Crusaders to fill the throne. The Blachernay and Boucoléon palaces were placed at his disposal, and one-fourth of the old empire was assigned for his immediate rule. But Baldwin's wife, Mary, daughter of the Count of Champagne, did not live to adorn herself with such remnants of the imperial finery as were still to be found in the palaces, Baldwin had left her in Flanders, and when she at length attempted to join her high-minded husband in his new dignity, she died at Acre on the journey. Baldwin himself was captured a few years later by the Bulgarians and died in prison. His brother Henry, who succeeded him, married the daughter of Boniface, the king of Saloniki, whose adventures we have described agnes was of course not the daughter of the ex-empress maria but of an earlier wife she was summoned from lombardy married to henry on fourth february twelve o seven in saint sophia and the marriage day ended with a great banquet in the bucoleon palace in the older byzantine fashion but that is all we know of the empress agnes henry died in twelve sixteen and his sister Yolanda became empress. Even of Yolanda, however, the very scanty chronicles furnish a very poor portrait. Her husband, Peter of Courtenay, was, after being crowned at Rome by the Pope, arrested in Epirus, through which he had foolishly endeavored to cut his way, and died in prison. As regent for her children, Yolanda remains almost imperceptible and an anecdote of the reign of her son robert is all that need be given to illustrate the character of the new dynasty robert who had a light idea of chivalry brought into his palace as mistress the daughter of one of the crusaders and her mother she had been betrothed to a burgundian knight and the embittered lover supported by a few friends forced his way into the palace cut off the nose and lips of the faithless lady and bore off her mother to be drowned in the sea of marmora as robert's brother was a mere boy the king of jerusalem a worthy old man of eighty was summoned to fill the throne for nine years and then baldwin the second entered upon his long and inglorious reign of which we need only say that in spite of his extreme liberality in selling especially to saint louis of france the valuable relics 
the crown of thorns the rod of moses etc which had accumulated in constantinople and in spite of all the efforts of the pope to maintain the worthless monarch on his throne and that throne subservient to the vatican the feeble and incompetent rule of the latins sank lower and lower until in twelve sixty one a regiment of greeks put an end to it this slight account of the latin rule at constantinople will suffice to enable us to follow intelligently the fortunes of the descendants of the byzantine monarchs who had set up a throne at nicaea theodore lascaris had married alexis's daughter anna who died early in the reign of her husband and her two successors in his affection are even less known to us than she the first was philippa daughter of the king of armenia but after giving birth to a boy philippa was for some unstated but imaginable reason sent back to the ruder court of her father and maria daughter of yolanda of constantinople occupied her place maria died childless after a few years and when theodore himself departed in twelve twenty two his only son the child of philippa was a boy of eight years the empire was therefore wisely entrusted to a powerful and distinguished noble john ducas vatatsis and we at length reach an empress of distinct and admirable personality the empress irene who in the year twelve twenty two ascended the throne with vatatsis was the eldest of the three daughters of theodore lascaris and anna and therefore a granddaughter of the emperor alexis and euphrosyne while the princess eudocia had inherited the character or lack of character of alexis her elder sister anna had as far as we can judge shared the comparative sobriety of euphrosyne and irene united in her person all the best features of the family without its ancestral defects she was prudent equable pious and virtuous her first husband andronicus paleologus died prematurely and her father then united her to the able commander to whom he designed to confide the empire when irene received her share of the imperial responsibility she proved to be says ephraim a new deborah and the few anecdotes preserved in regard to her suggest a sober and high-minded woman associated in perfect harmony with as long as she lived a sober and high-minded and valiant husband unfortunately irene led so well regulated a life during the twenty years in which she shared the rule of vatatsis that there is little to record of her and however much we may resent it we are dragged onward by the misguided chroniclers until we reach john's later and less virtuous companions but the contrast of this later period will be the more piquant and the more honourable to irene if we dwell for a moment on the exemplary years that preceded it the greater part of john's days were spent in warfare but in the intervals of his wars he was attentive to the development of his little empire and in this he was finally supported by irene it is true that they adulterated the coinage 
but that device had become a byzantine tradition and we must set against it a large number of reforms john was a just and simple-minded monarch he developed his estates so industriously in the periods of peace that he at length relieved his subjects of the financial burden of royalty and enabled them to prosper the character of the court is perhaps best seen and attracts a lively admiration in the following anecdote one day john presented his consort with a modest jewelled coronet and informed her with pride that it had been purchased by the profit on the eggs alone which his poultry farms yielded he forbade his courtiers to wear persian or syrian or italian silks though they might wear the product of the silkworms of his own dominions and he one day severely rebuked his son for going out to hunt in a tunic of cloth of gold irene admired and encouraged this care for their subjects acropolites our chief authority for the period was a student attached to the court at the time and he gives high praise to the empress one day there was an eclipse of the sun and irene turned to the learned young man for an explanation the work of the earlier greeks was not yet entirely forgotten and acropolites was able to tell the empress with due modesty that the body of the moon had passed before the face of the sun and momentarily cut off its light but superstition was spreading its unhappy growth over the ruins of greek culture and other courtiers especially the empress's physician ridiculed the youth's explanation irene laughingly told acropolites that he was a young fool but she regretted afterwards in telling the matter to john that she had used so arrogant an expression acropolites almost spoils the story by going on to tell us that in his own conviction the eclipse foreboded the death of the empress which occurred soon afterwards one other story confirms this excellent impression of the life of the court in the palace at nicaea or in the country palaces at nymphaeum and smyrna irene had one child her son theodore an accident as she rode to hunt and was thrown from her horse prevented her from enlarging her family when theodore reached his twelfth year the emperor who was himself over fifty decided to marry him and as he was allied with the bulgarians against the latins he sought the hand of a bulgarian princess the only available daughter of john assan the bulgarian king was a girl of tender years named helen and though the marriage ceremony was performed the two children lived together only as children under the watchful eye of irene the bulgarian king at length repented of his alliance and begged that the little helen now ten years old might return for a visit to her parents vatatzes and irene concluded at once that this was only a preliminary to breaking the alliance but they scorned to detain the child we read that she wept bitterly at being separated from irene during the journey to her father's capital she was so inconsolable even when assan took her on his own saddle that the monarch lost his temper 
and slapped her face helen did in time return to her spouse but she will have little interest for us after nineteen years of this placid and useful cooperation with the emperor irene passed away and after a decent interval of mourning john vatazzi's though now advanced in years sought another empress he succeeded in spite of the opposition of the papacy in obtaining the hand of anna daughter of frederick the second and sister of manfred of sicily anna was a pretty maiden of tender years a mere symbol of alliance with the two powerful and independent monarchs i have named john may have reflected that as he had now entered his sixth decade of life the immaturity of his bride would matter little in the train of the young empress however was an italian marchioness whose eyes were the chronicler says unescapable nets and john soon fell into them nicephorus says that the lady employed filters and her fine italian eyes in the conquest of the emperor's heart we will be content to think that the eyes sufficed for the remaining decade of john's reign the favored marchioness was the most prominent figure at the court she did not apparently desire to interfere in politics it was enough that she was permitted to wear purple slippers and other ensigns of royalty and that courtiers should gather about her rather than attend the young empress it is related that she on one occasion went decked in her imperial robes and accompanied by her glittering suite to visit the famous chapel attached to one of the chief monasteries of nicaea the abbot of this monastery nicephorus blemidas was tutor to irene's son theodore and though we shall find his royal pupil affording little proof of the excellence of his education the abbot nicephorus was a rare type among the degenerate clergy of the time he shut the doors of the chapel and refused to admit the marchioness infuriated at the humiliation and stimulated by her followers she begged john to punish the abbot john refused and tearfully admitted that his own weakness was the proper occasion of the trouble in twelve fifty four the valiant vatatzes bequeathed the crown to his son and anna and the marchioness made way for the bulgarian princess helen anna seems to have remained attached to the court or in some mansion at nicaea and we shall meet her again but helen died in a year or two her husband followed after a short and licentious reign of four years and the relinquishment of the throne to a boy of tender years their son john opened the gates of the palace to a shrewd and unscrupulous adventurer and his wife one of the commanders of the troops under vatatzes and theodore was michael paleologus a grandson of the emperor alexis's daughter irene bold and crafty passionate yet ever ready to stoop to lies and oaths to cover his ambition sensible that he was one of the most capable men to undertake the government and that his grandfather had at one time been destined for the throne michael directed his steps toward the palace from early youth in later years his favorite sister eulogia who reared him used to tell how when nothing else would soothe the restless infant 
she used to put him to sleep with the strange lullaby hush emperor of the city you will go in at the golden gate and do such and such things she may have mentioned to him this almost miraculous inspiration when he came to years of discretion by sobriety of life apart from love affairs and liberality to his friends and dependents he won great popularity and early incurred suspicion john vatatsis in his later years summoned him to reply to a charge of treason and said that he must purge himself by the ordeal one of the enlightened practices which the crusaders had introduced into the east michael glanced at the iron balls glowing in the fire and protested that although he was innocent of treason he feared that so sinful a man as he could hardly hope to carry the red-hot globes with impunity when a bishop who stood by rebuked his lack of faith in providence he shrewdly suggested that the bishop being innocent might take the balls from the fire with his hands and deliver them to him his wit and boldness disturbed the solemn court and instead of losing his head or his eyes he won the favor of john and married the empress's great-niece theodora she was a daughter of john ducas a nephew of the emperor and had been left to his guardianship michael was then twenty-seven years old and we cannot say if the young theodora accompanied him in his new command of the troops however that may be he was again denounced to the new emperor theodore and compelled to take a particularly sonorous oath of fidelity to theodore and his infant son in two or three years he was recalled to court to repeat his oath his eldest sister martha sometimes also called maria had a charming daughter whom the emperor ordered to marry one of his servants the young people had just succeeded in falling in love with each other when theodore who was now diseased and capricious changed his mind and ordered the girl to marry a noble of her own rank it was reported to the emperor after a time that this marriage was not consummated and could not be because martha had vindictively laid on it a form of incantation known as venus's knot martha was put naked in a sack with a number of cats the cats were pricked with pins in order to make them lacerate her and the abominable emperor sat by to interrogate her about her incantations after this it was thought prudent to compel michael to repeat his oath which he did fluently and the impenetrable geniality of his manner quite disarmed theodore theodore died soon afterwards and his boy variously described as six eight and nine years old was left to rule the empire under the tutorship of the first minister george musolon and the patriarch not only michael but all the other commanders and nobles had sworn heavily to respect this arrangement but the body of theodore had scarcely been interred before michael began secretly to agitate and to bribe his colleagues musalon was an upstart not a noble by birth and it was not difficult to cast on him the blame of the brutalities of theodore's later years three days after the burial of the emperor 
Musalon and his brothers and a large company of nobles and noble ladies gathered in the royal monastery at Sosander without the city for a memorial service when in the midst of the chanting the heavy and regular tread of soldiers was heard a band of officers and men burst into the chapel and before the eyes of the shrieking dames and the horrified priests cut musalon and his friends to pieces beside the altars national catastrophe it will be seen had not chastened the byzantine character from constable of the empire michael was now raised to the dignity of despot and became tutor of the young emperor then a convenient coalition of western powers against the empire gave michael's friends the opportunity to suggest that the strong man ought to be associated with the boy in the supreme power on new year's day twelve fifty nine he was openly proclaimed emperor the patriarch almost alone professed some concern about the terrible oath they had all taken only four months before michael met his concern by giving him a written affidavit sealed with ponderous oaths that he would restore the full sovereignty to john the sixth when he came of age and would recognize no claim of his own heirs to power it was therefore agreed that michael and john should be crowned together when however the hour of coronation arrived john was not present to respond to the call of the patriarch and michael and theodora alone received crowns michael had made a little arrangement with the bishops beforehand and only one of the lords spiritual protested the crowd may have murmured when after the ceremony they saw the boy crownless walking after the new emperor and empress but a liberal shower of gold coin put an end to their scruples such was the initiation to power and dignity of the empress theodora two other women who will engage our attention shared the elevation these were michael's two sisters martha and eulogia who began to have an even more important voice than theodora in the administration both of them were widows and had after the death of their husbands assumed the monastic habit probably martha took the name of maria when she adopted the black robe and eulogia was the monastic name of the younger sister irene finlay remarks that at least in this decaying period of the empire the women showed no less ability than the men and assuredly there was not in the greek world of that time the least effort to confine women within the gymnasium during the remaining two centuries the chronicles are full of references to active and ambitious women and we shall see that maria and eulogia were not prevented by their religious vows from taking their share in the political life end of section twenty three recording by linda johnson